0: Welcome back and here we go for another episode of FileMaker Talk.
1: Welcome to FileMaker Talk. This is Matt Navar and I'm here with Matt Petrowski, your cohort
0: in FileMaker Business. do well, not business. Dr. Not business, but we don't actually do business
1: together in FileMaker, uh,
0: but we're both in FileMaker.
1: That's true. Yeah. The cohort and FileMaker funds, that's what you add. Oh, yeah. So, um, let's see. Um, we have an interesting topic today. Startup security is what you just said. Well, I just ha- I happened
0: to do a, uh, a video article recently about what I do or what, I, what I'm actually aware of with regards to startup security.
1: And startup, do you mean like when a file opens? Yeah, just
0: basically from the point of when your file is going to start up, what are all the different things that you need to know about with regards to security? Now, that obviously goes into the other aspects of security, like settings that you put on the file, whether you use ear, whether you uh, block against advanced opening, all those things.
1: We're going to get into all that, and I think it's going to be fascinating. But you also have an It's Not FileMaker, don't you?
0: Oh, I do. And what could that be? (laughs) What? (laughs) Well, that could be my new absolute fascination with the uh, release of the new Audio Hijack Pro. So let's get a little music here. So basically, I am using a soundboard right now. There's actually an application called Soundboard, and I can duck this out and fade it out, and all of our production can be done uh, live. And you can bring these things in. So what makes this really cool is not only can you get really clean audio, which obviously you know all about that and other people know all about that. In fact, the one tip that I'll give is the reason that I can get good audio on my videos is because I learned about uh, gates and compressors. Mm -hmm. So if you, you know, compressor, if you, I believe if you talk too high, it's going to start to compress at a certain point and bring it down. Uh, but then a gate is really important because it doesn't let in a lot of background noise, or it, or it cuts out at a certain decibel level. Right. So it, it's all cool stuff, and I mean, I this new Audio Hijack Pro. All I can say is,
1: oh god, I just, oh my god, I love it. <laughs> I've used I've used Audio Hijack Pro a bunch of times over the years. It's pretty great. Um, I can say that actually. I had a new reason to use it today because today somebody turned me on to. Um, you know that David Bowie and um, Queen's song, um, Under Pressure? Yeah. Well, I read uh, someone, they, they posted just the audio, just the voices with all the instruments taken out. And it's really phenomenal to hear those two, uh, Freddie Mercury and David Bowie, sing harmony like perfectly. And read the story of how that song came about. They just both happened to be in the same place at the t- same time, stayed up all night snorting coke and drinking wine, and wrote and record that song that day and then it became it became Queen's second biggest song after a Bohemian Rhapsody.
0: <laughs> there are so many things that are just fluke or randomness that become like popular and well known and people give it all kinds of praise as if it took all kinds of premeditation and thought and a lot of effort and nope, it's just something
1: we knocked well, out. Well, yeah, but what it took was two totally awesome individuals' career coming together to bring all that stuff to bear, you know. So yeah, it did take a lot of effort and a lot of time just because it happened in a day doesn't mean it, it doesn't take anything away from it. Um but what I was thinking when I heard that is like, oh my god, I would love to r- compose a song underneath this, like rewrite all and re-record all of the parts to under pressure except keep the totally awesome baseline. Doom 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 doom, doom doom that has to be there. <laughs> and um but all the other parts, you could just do whatever you want, and then you would have the original singers' voices on it, so it'd be like a total remix of the song. And you, it's very difficult to get access to uh, original um, performances of just the singer's performance to be able to remix a song under it. That's a it's a difficult thing to do. So, and for a song like that, is pretty cool. Hmm. But it's just a, it's just a, a YouTube video, so you can't get it. So I thought to myself, oh, Audio Hijack Pro. All you have to do is play the YouTube video, and it copies all the anything that's from the audio content of that to a file on your computer that you can then edit, work on.
0: Oh, it, it's... it. Before the current release, it was a great program, and I loved it, but I'm guessing that a lot of people didn't go in and use a lot of the features that you could use. Um, this basically does all of your audio pre-processing before the signal's actually being sent out. So Audio Hijack is catching everything that's going into my microphone. So if I want to do... Uh, this type of thing, then I can actually do that. And it, it comes out and it makes its echoes and it applies all of that before it actually hits, you know, whatever's receiving it or wherever exactly. it's being recorded.
1: So as I'm sitting here a thousand miles away, talking to you via Skype, I'm hearing that effect like totally in real time with no delay or anything.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, it's just awesome. I mean, and you can capture the sound output from any application and you can redirect it to any output. Just wonderful,
1: but Damn, yeah,
0: <laughs> and it's a reasonable upgrade. I forget what it was. I think it was only like twenty dollars or thirty dollars for me. And it's—I uh, forget if it's a—I don't know. I'd have to look it up right here on the web. But it's probably like a fifty-dollar application.
1: Yeah, I'm on their site. It's forty-nine bucks, so twenty-five bucks to upgrade or forty-nine to buy it outright.
0: Yeah, for for what it does for your audio, it's just—I it's—I can't give it enough praise. Yeah,
1: cool. So, and then where's that software for the soundboard that you're using? Because that doesn't look like it's that's not a Rogue Amoeba product. Uh, no, uh,
0: soundboard you're going to be able to find at Ambrosia.
1: Oh, Am- yeah, I know that. Ambrosia okay,
0: software, yeah. They they did some of the, um, like, Line In was an application that I used from them. But soundboard is basically just like those things that the um, all of your disc jockeys use, and I forget what they called them. But basically it just has a keypad, And they're actually, all of the different sounds are associated just directly to a key. So if I, you know, if we were talking about something like access, (laughs) then you would be putting in all kinds of sounds like that because we'd be moving on to talk about FileMaker. And FileMaker is what we'd be really enjoying. We'd really love to hear about FileMaker.
1: Oh, so soundboard also fifty bucks. So, uh, let's see. They make a bunch of cool things. They make Snaps Pro, which is a totally cool way to take multiple screenshots on the Mac. They make uh, Wiretap, which actually is kind of like um, uh, it's
0: like this. I and mean, this is a, this is Wiretap like on steroids.
1: Yeah, exactly. All right. So. <clears throat> Uh, let's put a a slash end tag on the um, It's Not FileMaker and talk about our subject. What do you say? What do you say? Works for me. (laughs) So what are the highlights you hit in your security video?
0: So in my security video, I basically talk about pretty much everything that I know about with regards to security in FileMaker. And that's just because... My goodness, every week we are getting some type of notice about some major company that got hacked. It's Sony, it's Anthem, it's somebody else. uh, And troves of passwords are being released with names and information. And I'm just like, well, you just can't ignore FileMaker. And so people sort of need to know about what they need to do. Because FileMaker by itself, when you install FileMaker server... In my opinion it 's inherently insecure because of the FM server sample file
1: just which if, i don 't get I see a little bit, but most good people whose host filemaker server immediately turn that off
0: if, so yes, the- if they 're smart if they 're good in fact, one of the recent the, the recent video that I did about security, I talked about the fact that I was uh, given a pointer to a file and it was on a shared host, and uh, somebody was wanting me to look at it, and so I just went in. And I looked at all of the files that are listed. You know, you put their IP in, and then it shows you all the files that are listed. So the first thing to do is if you don't want anybody else to see your FileMaker file, under the sharing setup, when you select to share a FileMaker file, check the little box that says do not show this within the list of files on a FileMaker server. It's a, it's a little checkbox. It's right in the sharing. It's there, and a lot of people don't even use it. So first, that obscures the file. You don't know that it's even there because you can't see it. but, right, but if you type the name the... of it, you can get to it. Correct. Right. And you can always pass somebody either a FileMaker opener file or the best case scenario is basically just using the FMP URL as a hot link that you just create within the browser and then drag it out of the browser and you have this file you can send somebody which opens FileMaker via URL. Well, I went to this... Uh, this host database that I was looking at, and I said, oh, well, look, they have the FM server sample file. So I opened it up, and the first thing was, somebody was using it to actually put data within the file, and which is not cool because you're now exposing your data, and it opens up with the default admin password, which mm-hmm. is what it's set to do. And the next thing that I do is I look for FileMaker data. Uh, server 13 well i'm running server thir- uh, client 13 so i have perform script on server but i would have to check whether or not using some function to find out what the server is well i just run a perform script on server to go look at what's on the server well lo and behold what are they running well they're running the base elements plugin what does the base elements plugin allow you to do Well, it allows you to make HTTP calls, and it also allows you to transfer things via FTP. It also allows you to basically do a zip and get a full listing of all, basically, the file system.
1: Yes, but only the file system within the data, within the one small folder inside FileMaker server, right? It's only supposed to be able to see a a small specific subfolder of the server.
0: Anything that the FileMaker, everything is according to permissions, So whatever FileMaker server runs as, whatever user and group that process runs as, it has access to those folders. Those folders include the data folder where the datas are served out of, unless you do some magic, the backup folder, and everything else that deals with FileMaker server because it has to. Did you test that?
1: Because like if you use the import export command inside FileMaker, the only folders that you can see are a specific data folder Inside this, uh, which is at a lower level, that does not allow you to see the actual files, um, any database files that are hosted. It only allows you to see stuff that's imported and exported from FileMaker.
0: But we're not dealing with FileMaker. We're dealing Press, so you're with. you're saying a plugin. the plugin
1: actually can see.
0: The plugin is running outside technology. It's running C code, it's running right, right. whatever it wants to do. And if it has mm-hmm. access to the file system, you can do whatever the privileges are or whatever, you can access whatever the privileges are according to the user that's running it. And the FMS admin gives you access to all FileMaker databases. So on this shared host, all I would have to do is basically uh, run a list of all the files within FileMakers, either the backup folder or the database folder, get the size of whatever files I want to just maybe happen to check out, or heck, even zip all of them, and then transfer that to an FTP site if I want. So once I get their files, those files are now mine. Getting physical access to a FileMaker file is a FileMaker developer's worst nightmare because, of course, there are tools out there that will basically, you don't have to know the master password to a FileMaker file. All you have to know is that there's tools out there, and they're pretty commonly known in the FileMaker developer stratosphere or whatever that basically it doesn't you don't need the master password what it does is it knows the the location of where the master root password is stored within a filemaker file and then it will just brute force swap it out to whatever known password that you give it to
1: do or it, so re- then you, it actually it overwrites another block it it creates another cached password or hashed password that fits in the same length as the one that's there and then tells you the password that was used to make that hash. That's what it does. I've used and that then, utility before.
0: Have I, personally? No, I have, I, I'm telling you. I have, and I've, I've, I mean, going all the way back to FileMaker 3, I remember, I forget what it was called, but it had like this name, and all of the, all of your top developers knew what this thing was. Yeah, <laughs> was I wish I could remember what it was. but It was called FileMaker
1: had, Password Viewer Gold.
0: Yeah, something gold. <laughs> <laughs> it was password viewer
1: gold. <laughs>
0: oh, it was just... It was, it was So that basically exists. So your, your only defense against that nowadays is uh, EAR, the right. encryption at rest that they put into 13. So if there's a file going up on FileMaker server, I'm putting EAR on that. I'm putting the encryption at rest by default. The next decision is whether or not you actually store the password on the server... So that if FileMaker server goes down and then comes back up, it can automatically open your file, or whether you don't do that. And on some of my files, I don't. I opt not to put the password on the server because then the only place that it exists is within my realm, within my mind or wherever I've got it stored. Mm
1: -hmm. Your copy of one password. Correct. And the ear passwords are like sentences. They're not supposed to just be like a short password. They're supposed to be like a phrase. Well, that should be any password. Well, that's true, but some many password systems will say the maximum password you can have is fifteen characters, and I think ear when you like type in the thing and it tells you the strength of it, it wants a really really long password. Yeah.
0: So I mean, and then there there are so many things that I do um, like beyond that. If you're, if you don't need production if you don't need like, uh, what am I trying to say? Full access, is what I'm trying to say, to your production server, Mm -hmm. then you can even go one step further and actually use the uh, developer tools and remove the admin password on the database that you actually upload that also has encryption at rest. So even if somebody could get into it, they can't even get into a developer account because you've actually stripped it of that. Now, you have to put in import and export routines if you're going to plan for some type of routine upgrades or whatever, but... As long as you're comfortable that you can get your data out with that password stripped, you can't even get into a development mode in order to find out what's hidden within scripts. So that's like ultra paranoid. But there's a a number of other things that I do um, as a precaution, depending on the solution that's actually being deployed. Um, I don't know if you've ever done this. Have you ever um, created like custom functions that do a pattern count of the what? copy of filemaker is running and then create a custom function like is server or is go or is pro mm-hmm. versus versus is advanced yes so so one of the things that you can do is if your solution is if nobody else but you as a developer needs to get into your filemaker database as a developer then one of the things that I will do is I will block advanced and this is basically just a matter of creating a custom function that says if the version of FileMaker contains Pro Advanced, and then as part of your startup script, the one that's run according to the file options, if you specify mm-hmm. if get full uh, of get privilege current account privilege set equals full access, mm-hmm. but it does not equal Advanced, then block them out.
1: Oh yeah, yes. Yeah. So or even or if no, if in. it is
0: Advanced, sorry.
1: Oh, okay, so you're preventing someone from actually doing work with script debugger to hack in, basically, and data viewer.
0: I'm saying, yeah, basically any account other than full access accounts, if you have advanced, you won't be able to open the solution. You can also use the get persistent ID and lock it down to a specific machine. Yeah, I do that, yeah. as As part of your startup script, all you have to do is as long as you have that allow user abort as the first step, and then either use get persistent ID or as, if it's anything that's you know not full access or is full access but is not uh, a copy of advanced, then go ahead and let them through. But if they're opening well, advanced, yeah, block it, it, them out.
1: Here's the problem with this if the user turns on script debugger and then opens your file and they authenticate to the file as a full access user with advanced, the first thing that comes up is that script. And it, before it even starts executing it, it shows you the script. The user can then click Halt, and then they're in your solution with full access in FileMaker Pro Advanced. Well,
0: that only applies if they have full access. They won't be able to actually see those steps unless they authenticate
1: first. That's right. So if they have full access to the file, that trick won't work.
0: Well, you can call a branching script if they see the first script.
1: Well, yes. But. I mean,
0: we're not we're not trying to prevent developers with full access get into the file. We're preventing anybody with a level lower than full access that is also running advanced. Somebody who's going to be snooping around mm-hmm. using the data viewer in order to inspect fields and to run scripts. Right. It's another right. Se- security concern. People don't know this, but you can run any script that you want within a FileMaker solution. All you have to do is install a plugin onto your local copy of FileMaker
1: because all of the and then call that plugin with Data Viewer with a a variable. Sure.
0: Right. You you basically go create a watch variable, and that watch variable will include a function which is uh, which will perform a script, which the plugins can do themselves. Mm -hmm. So people don't know that. So you basically, if you're going to block access to anything, you have to do it within the security settings of FileMaker. If you're going to, if there are scripts that you absolutely don't want people to actually try to poke at and run, you've Mm -hmm. got to either disable access so that those aren't even shown, or you have to have some type of system where the very first step of every one of those scripts just stops them in their tracks hoping that allow user abort will stop it, which they won't be able to abort if they don't have full access.
1: And also you can put a thing in there that every single script that runs in your system requires a parameter, and the parameter is an internal uh, UUID or something like that. Um, Some sort of an internal code that if it's not provided to the script, then the script will just exit at the very, very top. I've done that for some systems too. Um, not for every script, I, personally, but it, it certainly could be used that way if, for super secure environments. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot, there's a couple things here that I'm not doing that you're bringing up.
0: Well, there was um, one that you did when, you, when uh, you gave me access to one of your files um, that dealt with uh, it was pause. Uh-huh. I, I liked, I, when, I, when I saw the access accounts, I liked what you were doing, and I had heard of people doing this before. They basically create a, uh, a no-access account. It's mm-hmm. basically the guest account, you can't change the read-only settings. That's a, a locked privilege set, and it's a little bit more than what the lowest level would be. The lowest yeah. level can be nothing. It can be like yeah, no-access, yeah, no no-access, no-access.
1: Exactly. Two of the three default accounts that FileMaker gives you are totally useless, and I've never used once. Full access, of course, is what you'd use for a developer. And those are the three unmodifiable privilege sets. Yeah. So what I did was I made a privilege set that was really, really low access. It was the auto-enter username. And when you log in with that one, it looked up your device ID in a table. So I stored every single device ID from every user. And if the user's device ID was known, then it knew who your profile was. And if it was not known, it said, oh, I don't know who you are, who are you? And then at at that point, you can have any kind of a subroutine to authenticate that user through whatever means. Then once they're authenticated, uh, you you store that device ID um, in the table so the next time they connect from that device ID, they don't even have to enter their password. Basically, you're trusting the device. Perfect for iPad and iPhone systems because it's a pain in the ass to type a password. It, and I think that actually if you, if you have an iPad or an iPhone and you don't lock the device itself, you're kind of an idiot. Um, so you've already passed the first level of authentication, which is your fingerprint or your password on your device, then I don't need another level in the database, depending upon what the level of encryption is in the in the data on the iPad. Right, and I thought that I thought that was
0: awesome. I thought that was uh, that was basically. And did you set the file options on that to open up with that ultra low level of access? Then determine, okay, you've got the right ID, yes or no. If you don't, you kick them out and shut the file down. Otherwise, you allow them to progress and then uh, either log them in themselves or give them a re-login prompt to yep, uh, enter exactly. new info.
1: Exactly, yeah.
0: and that's awesome. That's that's. That was really cool. So yeah, I showed I that, that for video. a
1: survey app. And uh, then I, I, I copied and pasted it into the solution for the pause on error schedule. So yeah, for pause on error, rather than having a separate sync schedule for everything, um, I, everybody was using the database hosted live from my FileMaker server over the Wi-Fi in the hotel. And so it was totally live and performed really well. We didn't get any complaints about the speed of it. Um, and that was pretty cool. Dude. And it, it had forty or so, you know, concurrent users at times. Looking at I, things,
0: I would, I was, I was, I thought that was cool. It was a cool way to get uh, introduced into an application. You're just like, here you go, and, you know, just log in. And once I logged in, then it captures my persistent ID, and then I become one of the people that can get into the site, into the database. Otherwise, other people can't.
1: Yep, and I built it so that if you had more than one device, like if you had two iPads and a phone or whatever, that all three devices could be connected to your profile. And then if you went in and said, oh, I'm going to go to this session but not that session, I'm going to put this note in or whatever, from all the devices you looked at, it all remembered um, uh, which your profile was so it could keep track of it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. And one of the other things I do is... um, server side scripts now if there are scripts that are only supposed to ever run on server i have a a custom function which is basically uh, is server which uses a pattern count looking for the word server within the get application version Mm -hmm. um, just like i look for advanced or go or anything else but this is what i put at the beginning of any script that only ever needs to run on server so the is server function can be used It can say, you know, if you are server, then go ahead and continue to run the server. Or you can use what's known as a guard clause. And that's actually the way that I uh, tend to program. A guard clause would be at the very beginning of your script, you're going to have basically three steps. You're going to have an if, an end if, and an exit script. And the very, well, you you would have an allow user abort just before that, so four Mm -hmm. steps. But it would basically say, if not, is server, then exit script just right off the bat. So sure. in other words, this script is only ever going to run if it is running on server. And you can do that same type of logic with anything. You can do it with, you know, if this is not sure. an iPad, don't run. If this is not advanced, don't run. Yeah. So that's a, that's a good security measure when you're writing your scripts is to use these things called guard clauses, which guard against the rest of your script from actually running unless certain conditions are met.
1: Yeah, I very frequently in programming will have, I sort of divide all scripts into two sections, and it's, it's basically all of my guard clauses at the head um, that says, if this test, then do this, if this test, then do that. And every one of those has an exit script, and then there's a certain point below which there are no exit script steps. So all, of, all, all the tests that can actually cause it to fail are above a line, basically. Yep. Um, and below, very, I can have a bunch of if else logic or whatever. But anyway, okay, so that's cool. I like that. I, I, I really like that guard script for, um, for uh, PSOS. Hey, by the way, one of our systems today was had a whole bunch of perform script on server scripts that kept a connection to the file after they were running. And we never figured out what it was. Have you ever encountered that? Um,
0: not. I don't work with a lot of big production systems that are used heavily by a lot of people.
1: So well, this was a really small one, but but there was about there was fifty or so perform script on servers that were just sitting there, and it was a it's a log record script. It just all it does is make one log record for a specific thing, like a user action viewing a record or logging in or logging out or whatever. Um, but it wasn't disconnecting from the database after it finished running.
0: Hmm. Uh, the, if, I was a, if I was a server, if I was running a FileMaker hosting company, the only way that you would be able to really watch for that is each perform script on server runs with its own incremental ID. That incremental ID creates a folder with that ID name. So if it's uh, the 70th time that, this, that a perform script is run, then it will create a folder with the name 70 within FileMaker's temporary space. So the only way to prevent that would be to write something like a cron tab or on Windows would be like a scheduler. And that scheduler would watch for how many different folders there are within FileMaker's temp folder on server. Well, yeah, but if FileMaker
1: it, server has the ability to limit how many of those perform script on server sessions can be running simultaneously. But correct. my question is, why, what would cause the perform script on server to not close and finish even though its work had been done, that's what I don't know the answer to.
0: Well that could be that's what I was gonna say. It could be a hang up in this scripting engine. That if uh, if you run this scheduled task that actually watches for how many things there are, if there's a bunch of stalled scripts, and if you know on average your server, performance-wise, is never going to have more than 10, even if the, uh, you can limit the number of per- simultaneous performed scripts to 25. If you get to 10 or more, then you would be able to say, okay, something's wrong, and then you would be able to tell FMS admin to actually restart the scripting engine. That's what your hmm. scheduler would do. Yeah, that and makes that sense. Would be, uh, that would be up to the server admin to implement that.
1: I guess I'm just asking, how do I stop the runaway scripts, and how do you test for them? <laughs> because, because well, you can't you can't from client yeah. once once well
0: i mean client unless if you're waiting for a response then your filemaker solution should hang if it's you know a bunch of people are running the same script across multiple clients oh yeah no i
1: waiting should, for response is, the, is what i don't like i really like not having that box checked so that my script can run asynchronously so um, once
0: that's, it's what, passed that's what that's what makes your
1: application feel fast
0: it's now server it's server side control and the An invisible has to watch for exactly.
1: that. Yeah. But so. the script can you can give the script only a certain amount of time. Well, actually, no, that's a different thing. Uh, perform script on server scripts, you cannot specify at the time that they're running, let this script take five minutes and then kill it. server no, side have scripts, to write a... Um that you schedule in the scheduler, you can do that. Yes. But not You'd
0: have to write a, a polling script that would actually poll for. Um, hmm. The status of something. Um, so, for example, with perform script, what you can do is you can create a table of, you know, basically a table that's going to track when PerformScript is actually used. Perform script on server. And so, when perform script on server actually runs, one of the first things that it does is it goes over to this dedicated table and makes a record, it says that I'm running a script. You can basically pull to find out on that table if you have any live running uh, perform script on servers because part of your perform script on server process could be okay after you've run your script over on the server go back and and set that record that you had created as being completed and if it's not completed you can look for that with another script if you're not waiting for the response you basically just be keeping a library of what scripts are completed and what are not within a table right so but of course that that doesn't come for free. you'd have to build it and bake it into your system. So that's pretty much what I have. Uh, I mean other than if you're checking for plugins on startup and uh, make sure that uh, if you are running plugins that if those plugins have access to the file system that you definitely trust the people that are on uh, the server, if you're a filemaker host or on a shared host. Um, I'd check, and if plugins are there, then there's no way I'd ever upload a file without ear. Uh, and even then, I'd be letting them know. I'd say, hey, do you know what can be done on your server? And they're maybe not the best of a FileMaker hosting company if they are putting plugins yeah. like that on a shared host. <laughs> yeah, that may be true.
1: But, but the other thing is, uh, plugins can be actually uploaded from a client now and installed to the server.
0: Only so you if can- the server allows it.
1: The right. server so has a, ch- yeah, a right.
0: checkbox that y- it should be unchecked on any shared host to right. not allow the installing of plugins.
1: Exactly. On my server, you and I, uh, have, you and I look at, uh, we turn that on specifically so that you can install those plugins. And I don't have well, any super secure databases on there, but I actually don't have encryption at rest on them. So, oh, By the way, there's another feature that I think is important, and that's a file setting that says, this file can only be opened in FileMaker 13. Which I think is yeah. a good idea, just to that actually prevents immediately FileMaker 12 from opening the file, in the in the file options dialog. Unfortunately, you cannot set that on a file that's hosted. You have to close it first before you can do it. But and do it in oh, FileMaker Pro directly.
0: We missed one of the big ones, which was yep. the the big hole that FileMaker has had for years and years. Yeah. The uh, file reference one.
1: Oh yes, that's an yep, that's a super S- critical checkbox also in managed security.
0: Right. It's in Manage Security. It's the last tab that says File Access, access, and it's a little tiny checkbox that says require full access privileges to create a reference to this file. So for those listeners who don't know, the way to get into a FileMaker file, if you had access to the physical file, was to create an external data source reference to this FileMaker file. And then what happens is when your primary file opens, Anything that references that file, if you have a table occurrence on the graph, which you don't have to, but if you do, then FileMaker is going to open that file. If it's uh, any fields that are on the layout, or if any scripts run that reference a script in that external file, FileMaker would open that file but would not run its startup script. It would basically just open it up hidden in in the background. Yep. And that still exists unless you go check that box.
1: So here's the way, but here's what's really scary about this hack, right? So if you have low-level access to a database file that the, that the security, not real true FileMaker security, but like the login script security says, these are the only layouts you can see, these are the only tables you can see, um, you could actually create, log into that database, the normal way with your way with your normal low level of access, um, create a brand new database on your desktop that has that you are the owner of, create a file reference to the other one that you have a low-level um, access to, and then in your file that you own, make table occurrences and layouts based on the data in the other file that you should not be able to see, which is very okay. scary. And then, ta-da, you have access to the data. That's right. Um, including, you know, globals, which would then allow you, so if it was global-based security, like, you know, a a global user level that had to be a certain number, and if the number was zero, then you couldn't do it, but if it was three, you could. You could then change the value of that global and now go back into your application and poof, you have access to more than you should be able to see. So that all is disabled by that one checkbox, um, which is not checked by default. So I would, I would say everybody who's listening to this, who this is new to, go to manage security, file access, and check the box. Require full access for pri- privileges to use, uh, to use references to this file. It's a super important little thing. Yep, very much so.
0: And there's one, I, there's one thing that it, it still bugs me that exists. I didn't even know it existed and I'll just give this as a tip tip of advice because I'm not going to say how you actually do it. I'll tell you. (laughs) But (laughs) I'm not going to spread the word because I want FileMaker to fix this, but I don't know that they consider it a bug. Do not store anything of any privacy or concern within global variables because even if your file is locked, even if it's a low level of access, they can be seen and, and changed discovered yep and changed yes yeah and changed even though global
1: variables are local to the file and like in my previous example in your database file you don't directly have access to them because they're only running in the other file and you can't run data viewer in the other file if you don't have a full access account you're talking about a different level of a hack basically to get into that aren't you well i mean there's uh, any file it can be just a
0: single file there is a, there's a bug that you can actually get in and see all global variables. So if a developer is actually putting, uh, using some type of control within their scripts that says, if a global variable double dollar sign developer is true, then go ahead and run this. And if, you, if I open a FileMaker file, anybody's file, and I get access to it, and I look at these, and I say, oh look, there's a developer global variable, and it's obvious, and I just set it to true. I can now just go poke at any number of scripts that I want to to see what happens in order to see if I can gain access to the file somehow with a backdoor or something like that because global variables can be exposed no matter what the level of access. Yep, That's pretty scary. <laughs> so if you're programming and putting security and using, or using global variables as part of your security, stop and don't. Uh, really, the ultimate authority for all security is the privilege set, and that's the only place that you can control whether or not a script can be seen, whether or not a layout can be accessed and visible, whether or right, not but, fields. Right,
1: but okay. But this privilege set really needs to be powered by data, or global globals, or global variables.
0: Not by. Don't do it by global variables. Always yeah, that's do what it you're by. Yeah. Always do it by. Uh, by the data. And, and usually
1: well, you, you want to do it. if you do it by data, it's much slower. So global fields are, are, are probably a good middle ground because they actually are securable.
0: Yes, you, you can lock those down. Typically, my best advice is if you're going to secure things based on data, uh, I guess if you have to do it based on data, then you're going to have to pick your battles. But the best thing is to do it on things that are immutable, such as FileMaker's get account name function nobody can change filemaker's get account name function so if you do it based on you know a calculated field that is the get account name that is unstored there's nothing anybody can do about that i mean unless you can unless you can reverse engineer filemaker and make the get account name return something other than the actual account name used for authentication right so but if you do it based on a field where that field is um, editable, where it does have edit privileges, then, of course, somebody if somebody can change it, but then that controls other security aspects, then you may have adverse effects. So just as you go along and learn more and more about FileMaker, you think FileMaker is this secure environment, and if it's... It's a low traffic, uh, not a low traffic, but it's a low uh, use environment. So maybe people aren't as concerned about security, but all of the things that apply in the rest of the security world apply here to FileMaker. So for example, if your host is not using an SSL certificate for the traffic in between, anybody who sits in between that as a man in the middle, if they have Wireshark and they're within that IP network that you have access to, you can watch for stuff that passes on five thousand three if you want yep so you need you need to you know use your everything's got to be in place the SSL certificate locking down the file references and the file access, using the privilege set, uh, blocking advanced if you can, making it really hard, obscuring the name of the file, making sure it doesn't show up in the list of all of the databases. Um, just doing everything you can to prevent people from hacking that. Because I mean, people, people want to think that, oh well you've got to find the FileMaker server. Well it doesn't take much to actually go out and send out a worm that looks for uh, an open port of 5003 on a broad range of servers. This is what hackers do. They basically say, okay I want you to go look for this service with this open port and then they just go look at those servers. And you can specify a range as wide as you want, 10,000, 20,000, 50,000 machines. So definitely it's always good to know you know, what's happening and how you can secure things in your solutions so that you keep your data private. That's probably why Stephen Blackwell's always out there telling people, you know, make sure your FileMaker is secure, make sure your FileMaker's secure. But if people don't know what to do or how it can be hacked, then they don't know what to... Uh, Word against right so yeah I'd glad sure. we got that file access one. That's oh yeah
1: yeah one. and uh, i'm looking at my server and there's a couple of them i didn't have it set for it's set now <laughs> this is this is going to be that podcast that everybody
0: listens to when they have their friend pop up on chat and say dude i just lost my laptop i haven't backed up for 30 days and as soon as they hear that, they go check their backups. They're like, "Is it two hours? Is it one hour? Am I backing yeah. up?" And it was just on the last half hour.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: my it's last like, backup was uh,
1: was twelve minutes ago. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> this is the
0: security check episode that it's like, go check this, go check that, go check this. So yeah, I, I really like my one of my most favorite is the. Uh, is that startup one that basically just looks for the fact that if somebody's uh, logging in and it's not full access and they're running advanced, you don't need to be in my database. Or if you don't have my persistent ID and you're trying to get in with some type of access that's full, forget it. Throw you out. Close the file. Right off the bat. Make it super hard.
1: (laughs) I'm looking at one of my files... Um, and I demonstrated this exact issue that we just described with the file access checkbox. And I'm looking at all the files that are authenticated to access a specific file. And there's a file called Hackity <laughs> that is authenticated to view a file that I did uh, a year or so ago. <laughs> That's really funny. And I forgot to delete the um, – I forgot to deauthorize that file. Um
0: yeah. It's so funny. Oh, and one thing is, uh, some people don't know, the, the way that the authentication works is when you create a FileMaker file, at the point in time that you create a FileMaker file, it has an internal ID that identifies that file. And so when you authorize one file to reference another file, that ID persists, but it also persists even if you make a duplicate of that file within the uh, file operating system, I believe. It hmm. only So basically a copy of that file should be able to access it as well because the, the file system just does a bit-for-bit bit copy of the whole file and doesn't change this internal ID. The only time that you uh, can actually get rid of that is if you deauthorize or one of the options in the file is to actually generate or create a new file I- internal ID that represents that file. Hmm. So you can one of the, my one of my methods is um, when I create a file if I'm using the super paranoid method where I actually rip out admin access removing the full access privilege set I like to give myself some type of way to get um, the data out of the file in case of emergency <laughs> so what I'll do is I'll I'll create a script that will do an export because you can't use the save as copy you have to actually export the data from all of the different tables but I will authorize this file known as a, quote-unquote, rescue file. It's a file that I know about that is authorized against my database. I then go strip the admin password, put on the R, the ear, and then upload that to the server, and I know, oh, my gosh, if somebody gets into that, they are uh, better than Superman.
1: Yeah. I successfully oversecured a file that had survey data in it that I was never able to get. Yep yeah I, totally I, I I put do. a sync I put an export routine in it, like the one you're talking about, which had a small bug and some of the fields didn't export. And I used ear and I used all these other features and I and it was on an iPad, and there was no way to get the file from the iPad like off of it. and uh, yeah <laughs> I didn't lose much data, but it was really frustrating.
0: It's definitely possible uh, with, I remember with FileMaker 3 and 4, I mean, you almost couldn't do anything wrong. You couldn't hurt yourself. But then came along 6, 7, and as soon as we got up to 8, 9, oh my gosh, there's so many different ways that you can hose yourself. (laughs) You're totally right.
1: (laughs) Well, I'm still clicking um, require full access privilege checkboxes on a couple (laughs) of those here.
0: It's because you're you're basically you know avidly going through all of
1: your files and seeing what it, yeah. what,
0: what can be had here, what can be what can be taken.
1: Yeah, yeah I had a couple of files that I like never use, but they're still there for some stuff. I built um I built a theme file that contains themes for all of the uh, solutions that we use, and so we build like a custom theme for each sort of project. Um. And this gives us like a central place to maintain it because you can easily go into a new project and import a theme from an existing FileMaker database. So we just right. have a central theme file that has them all. Um, it is so great to go through a layout and choose every single object on the layout as to be part of a theme. Uh, first of all, it makes the layout much lighter, much smaller, much faster. Huge difference in WebDirect. Big difference in FileMaker Go. Not much of difference in FileMaker Pro. In terms of speed. But then, if you go, oh, you know, I don't like Arial, I'm going to switch to Verdana. You make one change in a few places in your theme, and poof, solution-wide, you're, you're Verdana. Yep. You want to change your color theme, you want to change anything. And you change it once, and it just and that is exactly what we've been trying to get to for so long. 12 got half the way there, 13 got all the way there.
0: Yep. It's um, I'm... Totally looking forward to releasing new themes that people can use that they can apply to their files. The one thing that when it comes to themes, because I went through this pain myself, is that for all files, which is pretty much the whole of the FileMaker universe, prior to 12, they're all using Classic Theme. And Classic Theme has all of those just black line scroll bars and all of the things that you can't change, the scroll Mm -hmm. bars... The icon widgets on pop uh, pull downs, pop ups, all of that other stuff. The calendar right. widget. You have to actually change all of your layouts from classic to one of FileMaker's base themes, then implement your custom theme if you want to have those types of things changed. The scroll bars in particular, yep. and the uh, widgets, which is pretty painful. I mean, especially on some solutions that are monolithic that have you know hundreds and hundreds of layouts. Because that's a lot of work.
1: True, it's a big undertaking. Yeah, that's
0: definitely you're you're looking down the tunnel of rewrite right there.
1: And it's also a lot of work to choose all the different items on a the theme. Like for example, one of the things we really like to do is, um, if you have a block of fields together, like an address, I like to have um, the rounding and like the top left corner of the field is in the top left, and then the top right of the one that's on the right. If there's one in between, it has no rounding on top on any corner. And so for every given field setting that you have, you have to have four theme entries, styles, for the exact same thing, one with a corner in the top left, top right, bottom left, bottom right. Uh, actually, more than that, because then you also have to have one that has all four, one that has the top two. Because if you go, right. to, your, if you go to an object that's a themed object and click one of those checkboxes, that now is no longer part of the theme. It's a custom – it has custom XML. Right, it's actually
0: within this within the snippet they call it local CSS as there opposed to
1: full full
0: CSS. Exactly, and so
1: yep. I'm not sure you, how much uh, weight there is to having a whole bunch of different uh, styles, but uh, we found it to be totally worth it, but a little bit of a pain.
0: Yeah, when you have just one minor difference, like just say one corner out of all four corners, that is. You're looking at that, and you're saying, "Okay, if you actually look at the snippet, it's a lot of c s s and yeah. I'm wondering i'd I'd like to find out, and I'll have to talk to the guys that I know at Filemaker that are working on this if they're actually just looking at the difference between because as far as I know, it's a completely separate style from the standpoint of how it's exposed and what it actually shows, but behind the scenes, you would hope that they would be saying, Okay, well." let's do a diff between these two and find out what is the only piece of information we need. Oh, it's only a corner. Well, mm-hmm. Let's just show that. But I'm suspect that that's not what they're doing at this stage because this, the style sheeting that they're using is not full cascading. Right. It's not like you have a field and you say, here's a field with all four corners. Now I want to make a child representation of this that turns all four corner rounding off, but it uses right. all of the rest of the attributes. So it, it does not have cascading in that sense.
1: Exactly, so now that we have what we have, what I want is, I want a single master CSS style that says field. And then within that, I can say large field, medium field, uh, you know, uh, a field that's enterable, that has data, and a field that is invisible. So you can have like one that you know, has no, uh, one that has like a white background or whatever that gives you a cue that you can edit it. And then for each of those, and you can say, okay, here's one of the you know of the different seven styles that could have uh, corners. That's just actually a couple levels down. And that way, if I want to change my font, I just go up to the master field one and say, oh yeah, I'm changing here from Arial to Verdana, and poof, it all my sub styles work. But we don't have that now.
0: I can I can only imagine that because of Web Direct and the direction that they've headed. That they're only, they're going to try to get to that because that's the way that they're going to squeeze the most amount of performance out is when they're using, you know, every bit of optimization pre delivery to the uh, to the web. That's when they get fast. Just like definitely, yeah.
1: So. All right. Well, we uh, certainly talk security. Which is something yep. that's super important to me. I use it. I think about it a lot for a lot of the systems because a lot of the stuff that we do is pretty high, uh, pretty high profile security wise.
0: Yeah, and I mean, it's funny that out in you know in the rest of the world, the internet, you have all these different. Uh, there's, I mean, there's whole jobs, the whole infosec industry, and I just happen to be really intrigued by this. Um, that. Their job is to go out and basically bang on the door and do what's called pen testing and find out, you know, how are you vulnerable, big company, and where are you vulnerable? And they do all kinds of different angles. They do the social engineering aspect. They do the, uh, the hard technical, which is where they actually go in and see what they can expose. And it's really pretty intriguing and there yet, in the FileMaker industry, I don't know that we have anybody that says, okay, I am a specialized uh, FileMaker security auditor, and I will audit your setup and what's going on. Because well, Blackwell does when, some of that, I think. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there are individuals, but I know that there's mm-hmm. not necessarily a company that has said, okay, yeah, we'll travel to your, to your place and, and see what's going on with your databases and do everything we can to get into them. And, hmm. and show you where the holes are.
1: It doesn't seem like it would be much of a market, but it should be some of a market, I think is what I totally agree with you about. Well, I don't know. See,
0: I'm, I'm just thinking about this uh, shared host that I, was, uh, at, <laughs> that I was looking at, and through the process of uh, investigation, I actually created a couple scripts for myself that, uh, to get in and out with copy and paste scripts, if FM server sample file is open on any server, I can get in and out, know which databases I would be able to take and take an FTP and upload those in a matter of minutes. Wow. I mean, it's basically just a copy script, paste it into the f- FM server sample, full access, run it, see what the databases are, pick what I want, upload, get out. Nobody even knows that you're necessarily in the file unless they've got something that's proactively looking at the log, the FileMaker server log, and knows what they're actually looking for. Otherwise, it just looks like a normal access from just a different IP. So, I mean, if you're on a you know a known network, you might want to actually uh, limit through your firewall which known IPs can actually get in. Because if there's people that are out there poking 5003 to find out you know, who can get into what, if, if any database that allows any creation of script, such as FM server sample is open, it's, it can be a not good thing really quick. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> and I know that I'm, I'm definitely not the only one that has this and know this because I've had people that have sent me emails. They're like, uh, did you know that you can get into your database? And I'm like, you can? How'd you do that? <laughs> And it's because a lot of FileMaker's setup is so permissive. Like on the Theme Studio, here's a good learning lesson. One of the things that I didn't, uh, I had uh, a database that was um, exported by the Theme Studio, but had a reference to the Theme Studio. So this external database had had a reference. I had created a layout, but in the privilege set, I didn't recognize that FileMaker's privilege set, when you go to the layout sections, I think it defaults to allow the creation of new layouts. And so they were able to create a new layout and then go into some other areas of my database. Hikes. Because FileMaker was permissive. Right, so I mean, you right. have to go into each of those settings on the security, go into records, go into layouts, go into fields. And make sure that all of those are set to when a new thing is created, it is no access, no access. Right. As opposed to modifiable, which I think is what FileMaker, uh, when you create a new FileMaker file, defaults to. So lots of, lots of stuff out there. All kinds of little open holes that need to be
1: closed. So. Yep. But we've, we've beat this one. <laughs> it almost makes me think that like, um, I don't know if you have it as part of your sample files, but like a, a sample a database that's fully locked down, that's just like a blank template with all the correct checkboxes checked. You know, defaults to FileMaker 13 only. Defaults to no, uh, um, you know, file references except that one. All the create layout privileges are all turned off for the basic things. Uh, privilege sets are set up that are sort of correctly set up for all the basic stuff, but there's no tables or anything else in there. And then maybe yeah. like an example lockdown startup script.
0: Well, I've got in my uh, my FileMaker standards file that I use. Um, that's what I've got uh, for whenever I start a new one. In fact, there's um, on the FileMaker standards sites a lot of people. There's a really cool technique that Perrin uh, Smith came up with. He used to be at Doctor Bot. Now I think he's over at Beeswax. Mm-hmm. Um, brilliant developer. He actually had posted a thing on the FileMaker standards of a concept called low-impact startup, but it can also be um, seen as a security uh, advantage, too. He creates a completely blank table called startup, and then he creates a layout called startup associated to that completely blank table. In the file options, he specifies that as the startup layout. So regardless of whatever the authentication is, mm-hmm. the very first layout that is exposed is a layout that's tied to no fields. So right. not only does it not load any data, from a performance standpoint, you don't have access to see anything, even if you were able to use a debugger and, and open that first script. Right. Which you'd have to have full access for anyway. But yeah. that's a, it's a really cool thing, because everybody coming into a database is coming in... From a different mindset if it's an admin person you're usually taking them there somewhere else if it's uh, another user you're taking them into a different location why not just open up with nothing and then once you find out what the username is or the privilege set then direct them where they want to go and then start to load your data right just a better way to approach things
1: definitely man <clears throat> all right let's wrap it here man and talk uh, yep. again soon Okay
0: well thanks for uh, getting on the horn with me man.
1: I really like that we're not letting too much time go by between episodes again because oh. there's I think there's so many things to talk about that are you know I learn stuff when I talk to you <laughs> and I gotta I gotta think it's useful for other people too so
0: dude I learn stuff I learned stuff when I see
1: your databases I'm like
0: oh <laughs> yeah that's a, that's an interesting oh. Like that. That's a cool way to do that.
1: I think that's actually kind of universal. Every found micro developer learns something from every other one. It's just like how far do you have to look to see it? You know. I think. Yeah. All these great brains out there. Cool. Have an excellent evening, Doctor Petrovsky, and thanks to all you listeners, both of you listeners, Mom. Yep. And thanks to you, Matt. You are the man. Oh my God. It's so funny we forgot the sound effects all through the episode, didn't we? Or didn't you? <laughs> Alright. Alright, see ya. Bye.